Here on the Eastern Oklahoma Catholic Podcast, you can find all things Catholic in the Diocese of Tulsa and Eastern Oklahoma. There is a helpful book out there uh, by Hulbeek, which categorizes all of the married saints and blesseds, and I use that as a starting point. There's about 140 um, married saints and blesseds out there, but what I discovered in researching that is that the lion's share of them uh, happened to be married. Yeah. Right? Uh, it's not as if they were saints in or of and through marriage. It's yeah. that at one time or other they were married. Right. And maybe after they were a widow, they founded a religious order or something. Right. right? Uh, um, so really the challenge was finding saints who, whose marriage, who the daily life of marriage is what made them holy. Right. Right. And so uh, there's been an increase in, in beatifications and canonizations of those kind of people in the last hundred years. Welcome to Tulsa Time with Bishop Condorla. I'm Adam Minahan. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and for uh, giving us some uh, some positive feedback on social media on some of the episodes we've done recently. We had uh, a lady by the name of Carol giving us a shout out on Twitter, saying how much she really appreciated uh, you know the the podcast and hearing from you, Bishop, and and getting a chance. She said she lives out in the rural areas, and so being able to to hear you mm. on a regular basis. Uh, was was a huge benefit. So, and if I was on Twitter, I would have seen that probably. Yeah, but but I check it for you, so no worries, no worries. Um, but yeah, it's, it's great to have great to have you back. You you were recently um, kind of on va- a little bit of a vacation, right? Yeah, I went out to to see our cabin. the The two dioceses together uh, own a cabin in Crested Butte, Colorado, hmm. that was willed to the Diocese of Oklahoma and Tulsa when it was all one diocese Mm -hmm. by a group of priests who had set it up over their lives as a getaway place. And when the last of them died, they willed it over to the diocese. And so the the priests of the diocese, the bishops, and the chancery personnel can all uh, reserve dates to spend some days in that cabin. So I've been here seven years, and I'd never seen it, so I thought I'd better go and See what what we have out there. It's very nice. Very yeah. I mean, as you would expect in Crested Butte, Colorado. So well, and you're getting away from the Oklahoma heat for a little bit. Now's the time to go. Yeah, though you know, when I got back, it was a, that morning that we had that was in the low 70s. It was very nice when I got back. Yeah, but it's already 93 or something out there today. So yeah, yeah. Well, we have a special guest with us uh, today. It, it's great to have you. You're, you're part of the uh, Faith Formation Conference that we're going to be hosting here in the diocese. You're going to be giving a presentation, uh, Dr. Kent Lenoski um, from Wyoming College. Yeah, Wyoming Catholic College, a uh, little startup college in Wyoming, uh, the only four-year college other than University of Wyoming in that state. Yeah, they're, ca- they're the Cowboys, the, the Wyoming is Cowboys, correct? Yes, it is the Cowboys. Yeah. Uh, yep. yeah. And ha- how old is the school now? It's School is, uh, we started back in 2007, and um, you had a couple years before they had students, um, Mm -hmm. and so yeah, very young still, and uh, really coming into our own though, we're we're at an exciting place right now. And I seem to recall at least advertisements that had students on horseback 
heading out or something. Yeah, one yeah. of my favorite pictures is a student sitting on a horseback backwards reading uh, <laughs> Euclid. <laughs> yeah, it's genius. I mean, uh, you know, the students get a, get a lot of time on the horses and they're free to ride them whenever they want. They'll yeah. have a horsemanship class. Um, yeah, that's right, yeah. what they offer that. Yeah. yeah, and right now the freshmen are all out on their 21-day trip uh, as a way of orientation to the school. So 21-day trip on horses? Uh, well, the horses bring out re-rations, but they are simply hiking for 21 days. Oh, 21-day hike. Yeah. Wow. How about that? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. One week of it is entirely on their own. So Oh, cool. With no with the uh the the leaders are have stepped away after training them in how to not die. And so <laughs> and and are they allowed to bring any technology with them? Oh, not no, not at all. Certainly not uh, on the on the outdoor trip and and of course on campus there are no cell phones either. Yeah. So the the um you know, the PPF, the Program for Priestly Formation, has added what's called a propedeutic year now to seminary. And the propedeutic year is a recognition that this culture, culture in the West, in the wealthy countries, and particularly uh, if the young person is exposed a lot to social media and all of that, does not produce maturity in an individual in the same way that it used to, or at an early age as it used to. And so the propedeutic year is precisely kind of an novitiate in a way for diocesan seminarians, a year to be um, focusing on learning how to pray, how to simply be still without technology and all kinds of noise and input. And in our diocese here, we have our seminarians use a flip phone only for the first year or two in the in the seminary, and for the similar reason, you 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 kind of need to detox. Yeah, that's right. From the dependency that we all develop with these screens and all. Now this is all going out on one of these screens, so we're not <laughs> we're not saying it's bad necessarily, but it can be used in a way that is not useful. Yeah, I think what we what we see is that so many people look to social media and other online sources for their value and their identity. And, you know, the the psychology of those dopamine hits, you know, that you get when you see a new message or a new like or something on your post. And what we're trying to do is help the students find their identity in Christ. Yeah. And so you get them out there, you get them away from it, and they have to figure out who they are. And they have yeah. to figure out who their father is. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's awesome. I like that. Yeah. Now, Kent, you are, uh, I can call you Kent. Correct? Sure. Uh, you are, okay. So uh, I started saying, oh, maybe. Well, don't call him Sue. Yeah. Or don't call him like to dinner. What is it? <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, you're, you're, you're the author of two books, uh, at least two that I know of. Uh, for the one that I know of that I've read, actually, Vocation to Virtue, it's Christian Marriage as a Consecrated Life, put out by a CUA. Here you go, right there. It's a really great book. I would I would recommend for all of the like catechists or faith formation leaders uh, in your area if you're looking to help you know with marriage prep and things like that. It's a more of a deep dive. But also married couples, huh? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're looking to like really kind of because it, it's it, it is a little bit more academic book, correct? Mm -hmm. um, but it, so it's a little bit more it's me it's a little bit more meaty. Yeah, it is. I do some academic work to set up for the real pastoral piece of it, which is really, you know, that final chapter, chapter yeah, six, chapter right? six I yeah. walk through some of the more practical elements of what it means to to live marriage as a vocation, you know? Yep. Mm -hmm. um, the other book that you were mentioning, uh, 30 Days with the Married Saints, is really strictly down at that level of practice. It's sort of, it's a self-guided retreat for couples uh, that flows from 
this first book in many ways. And that was really a co-author project with my wife. And we had a great time doing that. It came out of a retreat that we offered for married couples. So um, also strongly suggest that one for folks just wanting to build their faith together uh, by reflecting on the lives of the married saints. But you know, that one may be really useful for engaged couples. Yeah, we had that in mind as well. And so yep. I've, I know a number of engaged couples who have used it. And, yep. um, and so with great success, actually, yeah. too. Because that's, you know, we've talked about that in this podcast. We had several episodes on uh, proximate marriage preparation yeah. and, and uh, getting, getting people ready. It took us two or three episodes to get them get past dating, yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. to get them engaged. Yep. But um, that's one of the things that we were talking about was the, the difference between someone entering marriage uh, because they believe God is calling them to be a spouse and a parent versus someone who's entering marriage just because they happen to fall in love with someone, and that's what you do when you fall in love with someone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so uh, a book like that 30-day book would help couples to better understand what does it mean mm. to say that I'm going to uh, be called to marriage by God and live it out for that purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we we used the analogy with seminary formation. Okay, everybody seems to understand a call to celibate life, call to priesthood, priesthood or religious life, and no one balks too much at the idea that okay. And then we ask them to go to seven to nine years of formation to prepare for that yeah. sacrament, that vocation. But then we and and then we say marriage is an equivalent vocation, not a lesser vocation a parallel vocation, and yet you can get married in six or eight months. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so we assume the, the same, you know, take three people, uh, an engaged couple and a young man going into seminary. They're all 22 years old. Mm-hmm. Well, he's got seven years ahead of him before he can do anything about the sacrament of the priesthood. They can get married in eight to ten months. Mm-hmm. There's there's something out of whack about that. Yeah, and I, and I think one of the reasons people think that way is because the goods of marriage are so deeply ingrained into what's natural to man, right? Whereas um, the goods of the consecrated life and the goods of uh, the priestly life seem in many ways to be yeah. at least outwardly a rejection of some of those natural goods in preference of the supernatural yeah. goods. But I think... Um, the key is that if we're going to be serious about calling marriage a vocation, if we really mean that, then we do have to get much more uh, robust in, in the terms of how we ask people to prepare for that, right? Yeah. As if they're really being sent on a mission that requires serious preparation. And so, yeah, one of the things I hypothesize is that maybe marriage prep should look a little bit more like a postulancy, a little bit more mm-hmm. like a novitiate that, in, that involves mentorship, that involves training in certain virtues, you know, and in particular... Um, as, as strange as it sounds, virtues of poverty, chastity, and obedience mm-hmm. that would be lived out in a particularly married way. Fashion, yeah. yeah. And so, of course, the dicastery for the family in Rome agrees with you. So they're, they're uh, you know, Pope Francis has used the language of a novitiate for mm-hmm. marriage, uh, and they're talking about a catechumenate for marriage. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like it's looking like about an 18-month kind of a, a um, process, 
But I think what it will share with the catechumenate is markers. It's looking for markers along the way, not simply completing and signing a certificate, but looking for markers. Have you achieved this level of maturity? Do you have this level of an understanding of what marriage as a sacrament means? Um, you know, the, the whole issue of, of nullity yeah. declarations and petitions is based on the reality that consent is not as simple as just saying I do. Consent has to have a understanding behind the saying I do and an intention, and that's borne out in behavior or not. Mm -hmm. And so for couples to understand more deeply, you know, I made this argument in an article on doing marriage preparation with cohabiting couples. Um, the decision itself to cohabit, what I was arguing, is a demonstration that this couple doesn't yet possess the critical faculty, that's the canonical term, uh, to give valid consent. Mm -hmm. Because if they did have that critical faculty, they would understand that to live together in this fashion, in a sexually active uh, relationship that looks like marriage prior to being married, is a detriment to being married, to moving into marriage. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. yeah. Now, in your book, you, you pull from different married saints. Now, one of the things I think that's interesting, if you go back and look at the, the, the canonized saints, there's not a whole lot of married canonized saints. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, a, there's a whole lot of, you know, Franciscans and Benedictines and different orders and different popes throughout the history. Mm -hmm. But there's not a whole lot of married saints. Uh, how did you how are you able to pull those pull those together yeah there is a there is a helpful book out there uh by Hulbeek, which categorizes all of the married saints and blesseds and i use that as a starting point there's about 140 um, married saints and blesseds out there but what i discovered in researching that is that the lion's share of them uh happened to be married yeah right uh, it's not as if they were saints in or of and through marriage it's yeah. that at one time or other they were married right. and maybe after they were a widow they founded a religious order or something right, right? Uh, um so really the challenge was finding saints who whose marriage who the daily life of marriage is what made them holy right right and so uh there's been an increase in in beatifications and canonizations of those kind of people in the last hundred years uh, one of the most extraordinary um for me and my wife, as we were looking through this, is uh, the Quattrochis, and they wait, wait, Quat Quattrochi, yeah, Italian. Okay, uh, their full name is even longer than that. But you'll look it up. <laughs> uh, they had, um, you know, their children even thought them to be saints while they were still alive. I mean, they they had this motto of uh, "Live life from the roof up," right? So everything was ordered up toward heaven in their lives. They never had a problem that they didn't order toward prayer, right? And mm -hmm. and they were put in front of a situation that was truly heroic, um, where Maria um, had placenta previa with, I think it was their fourth child. And at that time, during the 19th century, uh, the version that she had was basically a death sentence. They, they gave her just a 5% chance of living, and they said, you need to abort this child. She said, no, we'll offer it up to prayer. And, uh, you know, by the miracle of God, she survived that. Wow. Right. And so um, truly put her life on the line for that child, a kind of radical pro-life witness, but just wonderful example of like the decisions of their married life 
you know, together, they yeah. were they were saying it's through that and in that rather yeah. than just sort of around it. Yeah. You know. And the Mola, right? What's her Jennifer name? Mola. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the younger couple, the also Italian couple, she had cancer of the eye or something. And um, not remembering their yeah. name off the top of my head. I mean, of course, the most famous is uh, the Martin. Martins. Yeah. Right. And, right. And their life, you know, if you look at it in detail, uh, is full of profound suffering. I mean, here's a woman who had a number of her children simply die. Mm -hmm. and, and in fact, not even while she was with them, she was not able to nurse her own children. I mean, mm -hmm. what a cross to bear. And so she had to send these children away to a nurse and some of them died while they were even there wow. at this nurse. That yep. So, and just uh, the cross too of, of having imperfect children. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you read through her diaries and the letters she wrote and you see she struggled. I mean, Leonie was kicked out of, of school because of how bad she was as a, as a child. So mm -hmm. um, for all those parents who, you know, who are struggling to raise up their kids and, and dealing with the questions of, what am I supposed to do with this child's imperfect behavior? I mean, go read uh, the story of a family about, um, about Zaley Martin and you'll find a lot of hope there. So there is hope. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Good deal. Right. Good deal. Uh, so, okay. So you're a father of 10. I didn't mention this, but you're a father of 10. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't know how you found time to write a book with your wife, but uh, more, more power to you on that. What do you, what do you suggest to those guys, so the people who uh, are looking to incorporate prayer more into their marriage with mm -hmm. a, a busy life, you know, a chaotic life? How do you, how do you incorporate prayer, prayer into your marriage? Yeah, I, it's basically, you have to be intentional. You know, you can't win the Super Bowl by accident, mm -hmm. right? Nothing worth doing generally happens by, uh, by accident. So you need to just say, look, this is something we're going to do. We're going to structure this into our lives and we're going to make it happen because you won't just find time for it. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to make the time for it. You have to make it the center of gravity around which the other things orbit, mm -hmm. right? You can't just make it another planet in the constellation. Mm -hmm. So what I would say there, the real short answer is create a kind of rule of life for your family. Mm -hmm. Get serious about it. And, and don't start too big, right? But just say, look, right. every day um, before we let those kids run out to school, we are going to do an Our Father, a Hail Mary, a Glory Be, and particular intentions for that day. And you know what? We're going to throw a little uh, a morning offering at it too. You know, join ourselves to the to the mass, make a spiritual communion if we can't go to mass, that kind of thing. So choose choose something to structure into your day. And that's only a five that's a five that's to five eight minutes. Mi five to eight minute yeah. deal. Yeah. Right. And you can you can go as big as you want. You know, you could do the full liturgy of the hours if you want with your family. Um you could do a rosary every day, but um you gotta start doing something. Right. Just make that commitment to structure your life around this this pole, this element is the thing that doesn't budge. Mm -hmm. Right. And once you make that commitment, um, you'll find that you start finding more opportunities to to pray and it'll expand. Um, but start small and commit to something that you can actually achieve. And again, the 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 value of knowing this going in, in other words, this being part of what we talk about when we're engaged, part of our dreaming about what our family might be like one day, mm -hmm. all of that before we ever get married. For one thing, to make sure that we're compatible and on the same page with having mm -hmm. even this plan. Uh, and secondly, so that we start with the children from the ground up. It's harder to do this if you've already got teenagers who are kind of 
rambunctious and normal, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then you suddenly announce we're going to do this, yeah. that's harder to do than if you've got children for whom this has been part of their life since they mm -hmm. were born. Mm -hmm. uh, they come to know it, expect it. They don't think anything yeah. of it. Yeah, for engaged couples, there should certainly be times of prayer that they spend together each day, maybe make a couple at least one daily mass together a week, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that they commit to. Um, also, they should come up with um, doing the same kind of spiritual reading, you know, choose yep. choose uh, Jacques Philippe, you know, and, and read through one of his small books together and just always have something that you're trying to be on the same page about. Yeah, Because in marriage, you're really writing a story together, yeah. right? That God is ultimately the author of, but you are there as co-authors with God. And if you're not thinking the same things, reading the same things, praying the same things, it's going to be hard to be on the same page. And that yeah. that needs to start really um, at the very early, at the very latest during engagement. Yeah, really. I have said before <clears throat> in doing work with couples that the intimacy, the intimacy involved in a prayer life, a common prayer life together, is deeper even than the intimacy involved in the physical relationship. Because there I have to share my most innermost self and my most innermost relationship with God with you and hear your thoughts about me and also mm -hmm. you receive my thoughts about you. Um, I had, you know, I have a hobby as a woodworker. And a pastor once asked me, he was a Baptist supervisor, my supervisor in hospital ministry. Um, he asked me to make a gift for his daughter who was getting married, and the gift he wanted me to make was a kneeler, a two-person kneeler that they were going to, you know, pray to, mm -hmm. that they were going to have at the foot of their bed. And I thought, boy, what a perfect gift, because it is the tool that we'll use to develop the very thing yeah. that will become the heart and soul of the relationship. Yeah, and as you mentioned that, and you, I'm starting to think about geography of home, Right, and, and what I mean by that is the way your home is a place and the way it's designed as a place affects how you live there. So if you have a kneeler somewhere central, it might get used. But I think more important, if you know you were asking about how do I get prayer more in the home, uh, what's a practical step you could take? Uh, get rid of your TV, mm -hmm. just get rid of it, throw it in the garbage. And the reason I say that is because where the TV is seems to become a sort of center of gravity and almost it almost starts acting and looking like an altar, mm -hmm. right? That everything is surrounded by the altar. We all come and sit before the TV, right mm -hmm. in front of it and, and give it our attention where, you know, Simone Weil has called prayer attentiveness, right? And so if we recreate the geography of our home to be around a shrine, right? Maybe a place where you have some icons and a crucifix, mm -hmm. some candles, maybe get some incense going there occasionally, right? You have designed your home to be ordered toward gathering for prayer mm -hmm. rather than gathered for consumption of media, mm -hmm. right? And that's yeah. a real concrete step that a father or mother could take and just kind of own this thing. Yeah. the um, One of the episodes we were talking about, uh, an idea that I've shared with people over the years, in terms of our screens and all as tools, uh, in my shop, I have a whole collection of different kinds of hammers, but I never have gone into my shop and picked up a hammer and then walked around the house looking for something to hit. <laughs> I only ever go and pick up a hammer when I already have in my mind a job that needs a hammer to, to do it. Then I go do the job, then I go put the hammer back, and so the hammer doesn't become a form of 
wasting time or entertainment. And so that's what I think of, of TVs. And so it fits well with this image you're talking about, geography. Uh, the TV is a tool. You could use it in very effective ways. You yeah. could watch uh, podcasts of Tulsa Time on it, <laughs> yeah. for example. Um, but it's a tool, and it shouldn't be just passive. You know, the family needs to have an idea of what we need to do in front of this tool right now because we're going to watch a movie on Zaley Martin or we're going to watch The Chosen or whatever. And then when that's done, we don't need to sit here anymore. Mm -hmm. We can go back in our family room that mm -hmm. has our shrine, read our books, mm -hmm. have conversation together, pray, whatever it is. Yeah, so I like that. I, uh, in monasteries, the the pews are arranged facing each other. Yes. And so they're arranged that way so that the prayer can be antiphonal, mm -hmm. back and forth, back and forth. And so mm -hmm. there's a, even a geography, right, of that. Mm -hmm. I find that very interesting that the, the prayer at the foot of the bed, like Haley and I have one. I, that's actually one of the first things that I did in our marriage is I built one out of uh, cedar. And I put it at the foot of the bed, not really thinking about like the, like the impact it was actually going to have mm -hmm. um, until later on, because it's another visible sign of something that we should be doing together. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, it's like we have to bypass that before we go to bed mm -hmm. every night. And so it gives us something that we have to, you know, it's like, Oh no, no, wait, we have to go pray together mm -hmm. before we get into bed. And then also like just the, the, the beauty of, you know, the marriage bed is the place where you lay down your life for, for one another. And here you are, you're praying before, you know, the place in which you lay down your life for yeah. one another. Um, call it the Tobit bench. The Tobit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, I, yeah, I, that, but I, like, I, there's, uh, there's a real beauty to that in, in, in the, in the master bedroom. But I think that it's so important before we actually have this family time prayer, uh, that we really has of a couple have prayer yeah. together. And but, I think that's what I was going to, that's something I wanted to add too. You know, if you've, you've heard of the soul of the apostolate, yeah. you know, real, uh, a classic there in spirituality. And, and one of the main things emphasized, of course, is unless you have that deep um, relationship with Christ and fire of the Holy Spirit burning within you, you can forget any act of ministry you're going to want to try and do. And so mm -hmm. as, as a married couple, unless I have uh, that interior life, you know, richly alive, um, and unless my spouse and I are praying together and uh, strategizing together about uh, about our life in Christ, uh, yeah, no matter what we try to do with the children, it's all going to fall flat. Yeah. Really. The very virtues that you need to say I'm sorry or to, you know, do whatever hard thing or even have a hard conversation, whatever, all those virtues are found there, you know, mm -hmm. in the prayer. Uh, so without that, we're struggling because we're on the struggle bus because uh, <laughs> we don't have... Now, the other right. thing, we we have a parish here that... Uh, Christ the King that uses a tagline, take the next step. Hmm. And in that tagline, what they're trying to communicate is that for every person in the parish, no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord, there is some next step for you that will deepen your life with him. What for you is the next step? And then the parish tries to provide all kinds of different steps wow. that people can do. And so... A married couple could each be thinking, what for me is my next step? Mm -hmm. Or they could be talking together, what for us as a couple is our next step? I would contend that's a much more intimate 
yeah. reality and conversation. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, couples, this again, we get back to the idea of structuring and a rule of life, you know, I think one of the things um, Kate and I have tried to do with more or less success throughout the years is carve out a time where we can talk about those particular issues because otherwise, you know, you get wrapped up simply talking and what's the, what's the baseball schedule? What's the soccer schedule? How's Johnny doing in biology class, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you never get down to uh, the deeper questions of, you know, what have you been afraid of recently or yeah. what's been struggling on your heart and what is our next step? What's my next step? You yeah. Know? So um, again, structure, a lot of people are afraid of structure because they think it gets rid of spontaneity, but I can guarantee the more you structure, um, the more free you are to then actually be spontaneous yeah. when the time is right. I can go into my shop on a whim and work on almost anything because I've built it, I've organized it, I've supplied it with the tools. Exactly. So it's yeah. it's all that organized work that made the spontaneity possible in my own family there's the apocryphal story uh from my parents early years dad comes home from work one day mom has two babies already and is pregnant with the third and she's standing at the stove and dad walks in and asks innocently honey what's for supper and a pot flies across the kitchen (laughs) yeah Yeah. and she says we're going out (laughs) But from then on, they made it a point, hiring babysitters to do it through the years, to have at least one evening by themselves, mm-hmm. just that go out for a cup of coffee, talk together about what's going on. Mm-hmm. And as we got old enough, us older kids got old enough to do the babysitting, they occasionally would go and get a hotel room in town <laughs> and leave us alone at the house to babysit the kids and they would come and visit us during the day. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then spend the nights away from us. Yeah. And uh, bring buckets of chicken, you know, hey, Kentucky yeah. Fried Chicken. And again, it was important to them. They recognized that we have to take care of our relationship because if anything happens to that, then whatever we try to do for the kids is going to suffer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of, again, uh, Quattrochi and also the Martins. Uh, both couples were daily communicants, and uh, in particular the Quattrochi family, he and she would not greet each other with a kiss until after Mass. That mm. was sort of the official beginning of their day was mm. the fact that they would you know get up and and go to this daily Mass together and then greet each other with a holy kiss after Mass. And, yeah. and it's wonderful that they... They took the time out to actually do that and make that witness to them, to themselves, to each other, and to their family about what was really at the center of their lives. And I've said in in various settings here that for parents to be doing these things and then also talking to the kids about these things mm-hmm. and about why we do these that we do these things and why we do these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, beginning with just the 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 pray do. Your kids know yeah. there's a pray do in there. Yeah. Oh, mom and dad have a pray do. They must kneel together and pray together. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a normal part of their thinking now. Right. Uh, it will it will not seem anything unusual at all to them to to believe that married couples pray together. That's what yeah. they do. And they're imitators, right? So one of the things that we got them for Christmas last year because they were like they wanted a place to pray. They oh. wanted a kneeler. So 
we got them a kneeler, you know, and so now they uh, have a kneeler upstairs and upstairs for them. So that way, uh, like when they get out of bed, like that's what they do is they get out and they start with prayer. But uh, but they're, they're imitators. Right. So yeah. um, um, yeah. one of the things that we have to remember is that while saints are like sometimes we have this glorious, like amazing imagination about who these saints are. You know, part of the time is just like you just gotta you need to desire it. That's the yeah. like what how do you become a saint? You desire it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the ordinary things. Yeah. You know, the saints are not the, the, I don't know if there's any saints who set out to be saint. They said, I'm gonna be a saint, and they set out to be a saint. They set out to be faithful to God, they set out to be faithful to their vocation, they yeah. set out to strive after perfection. That's the the monastic uh uh, you know, making life perfect. And then God took care of the rest of it mm -hmm. just by their being faithful to these smaller things, these ordinary daily things. Um, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, you don't want to become scrupulous about all of no, it. In no. the midst of it all, it's free. Uh, the, the, I've used the image of uh, chocolate cake. I love chocolate cake. If I don't get to eat chocolate cake, if some opportunity arises that I have to pass up and I don't get to eat it, I'm going to be sad. But I'm not going to feel like I committed a sin. And so the same with all of these things that we're talking about. These are wonderful bon mots, you know, to share with the God who loves us and who we love. And if we miss one on a particular occasion for some reason, well, that's too bad because it's a wonderful thing. But it's not something that we need to go and make a right. confession about and all of that so yeah okay yeah, i love how you how you're talking about how like you start small like at the beginning of this episode even you were talking about like just just start something small right yeah, it's yeah. like do the things that you're already doing in your day-to-day -day life you know and oriented around yeah. god you know so have that as this the, the the focal point like my dad whenever he walked in from work uh before he said hello to his children he went straight to my mom to give her a kiss yep like and that's a very easy thing to do but and it doesn't take any more effort, you know, than than what you're already yeah. already doing. But what it told us as kids is like, oh, well, dad loves mom. Mm -hmm. You know, mom loves dad. Yeah, yeah. And you're just reinforcing that. So I mean, mm -hmm. I, I loved what your advice on like just do small things. Yeah, and and I think another another small thing you can do, especially if you have small children, is get in the habit if you're a father of making the last interaction you have with those children something. Um, that demonstrates your unconditional love for them. Something like a blessing, right? You know, mm -hmm. use that paternal right to give them, to call down or ask God to bless them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, and so that that habit is very easy. You know, you can do a prayer with them, some kind of some kind of thing that shows them. You know, what you really want for them is the presence of God. Mm -hmm. you know? And it doesn't have to be long. You don't have to be sophisticated, but right. just making that something that they know um, through habit. Uh, every night, the thing I'm going to get from my parents is this this demonstration of their love for me and their desire that God would be with me. Mm -hmm. Pretty easy. takes like five seconds for each kid. Right. You know? That's a a, uh, a normal thing in, say, the Hispanic culture, is mm -hmm. parents blessing kids as they leave the house, as they come home. Uh, it's in the Book of Blessings. Mm -hmm. There are blessings for parents, for their children in the yeah. Book of Blessings. Uh, going back to that monastic image, uh, after Compline, uh, at a couple of monasteries that I know of, the abbot stands at a certain spot near the stalls where the monks are, and as they file by him, he sprinkles them all with holy water. Wow. He gives each one a sprinkle of holy water. 
a father could do that with kids. They would even think it was funny. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, my uh, we had a bunch of Lourdes water that my kids would always ask, you know, that they could have sprinkled on them. And recently, um, the godmother of, of my daughter, Faustina, gave us some uh, holy oil. Uh. And out of no, one of my other girls had a little cut on her foot. And Faustina's like, I've got the holy oil. Let's go get it. She's putting it on there. You know, like it was awesome, you know, just to see the way that they're doing that because yeah. they want, you know, they want the sacramentals. They want the power of that grace and their, and their beautiful childlike simplicity about it. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, uh, you know, kind of overall, like, remind us again what the book is called. Uh, how can they get it? What are your, like, Last thoughts on those on the on the book. Sure. So, uh, you know, the first one that's more academic, "Vocation to Virtue," that's in a paperback from Catholic University of America Press. You can get that on the internet, Amazon. Uh, the second one that's more approachable for just anybody, you know, not an academic level of reading, um, but is that self-guided um, retreat is 30 Days with the Married Saints," mm-hmm. and that's from Pauline Books and Media. Again, available on Amazon or anywhere else that sells books online. Um, pretty pretty good price there and. Yeah, I recommend anybody that's interested uh, to give that. It's a great marriage or wedding gift or even a gift for someone you know has just yeah. been engaged. It'd be a great gift for uh, parishes to give to engaged couples. Yeah. You know, as they start their marriage preparation. Yeah, we thought about trying to kind of get a hold of uh, parishes to to try and work it into, you know, marriage prep programs as well. I think it'd be mm-hmm. wonderful. Yeah. Or when we have those, um, what do we call our marriage day? When- oh, okay. Marriage encounters? No, the one when uh, they come from Houston, the Pope Paul. Oh, uh, Together in Holiness. Together in Holiness yeah. days. Yeah, that'd be a great thing to, to give out. Another thing, too, as you were mentioning, is this uh, this idea of, of post-marriage formation, right? Or formation after marriage. It's it's really important, you know, sort of we, in marriage formation, or pre, pre-canon, we tell people, well, uh, don't use uh, don't use contraception, and there's no such thing as divorce, and okay, go have a nice marriage now, right? And, <laughs> but we don't give them tools. Um, to actually live that marriage. So again, you know, if a if a priest were to give a book like this to a couple mm-hmm. and say, "Hey, just try this," I guarantee, you know, within thirty days, you're going to have a number of new practices that will help you be happy and holy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kent, man, it's been great to have you on the on the podcast. I appreciate you guys you, you taking the time to hang out with us and talk yeah. about prayer and marriage and uh, our favorite topic, Jesus. That's uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Tulsa Time with Bishop Condorla. We'll see you guys next week.